G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-orientated, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Last year, we decided to truly build out a real property management company, put some like real money behind it, yep. and bring the talent in that's necessary to, you know, to not just manage the portfolio we have today, uh, but also to scale on top of it you know with the infrastructure we have in place today we could add another thousand lots and not have to hire another individual welcome to investing in the u.s a podcast for real estate investors business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the u.s market Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show.
G'day, g'day guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US. And we're coming to you live from Keystone, Colorado for the Best Ever Conference 2020. And this is the third and final live podcast I have for the day. And I've dragged a good friend of mine over here because he keeps cancelling on me every single time we try to schedule a podcast. Uh, welcome back to the show, mate, Mr. Kevin Bupp. How are you? Yeah, Reed, I'm doing great, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm high maintenance, man. Super high maintenance. I was like, I saw him here. I was like, you're, you're going to sit down with me and we're going to do this freaking show. But, yeah, mate, he pretty much just put me in handcuffs to drug me over here. So, but it's good. I'm glad to be here. Mate, it's, uh, it's good to see you. Um, we, I think, I was looking back through the shows, like top 50, I think you were. <laughs> back on my show three three and a half years ago like we're talking i'm at 250 right now wow so it's been a little while since we've had you on the show for those people who haven't listened to that show yet do you want to give us a little bit of a pitch of who, what you do and who you are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Time flies, doesn't it? It's, it does. It's crazy. When you're having fun, right? You've been doing yours for what four years? Four and a half years. Wow. Yeah. Good dear. So you're you're one of like the, the founders as well of the <laughs> podcasting world. I, I, it's a massive statement to say. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if it's yeah. the founders. No, that's, that's good. That's good. So yeah, um, as far as my background, so I've been investing uh, full time in real estate since I was 19. I'm, I'm 40 uh, now, not today, but now I'm you know 40 years. So I've been doing this you know 20 plus years. Like a lot of people, I got started buying single-family properties. That was what my mentor at the time, that's what he did. He was a local guy. He was like 25 years older than I. And he had built a, a, a pretty nice business, cash-flowing business, uh, in a small town in Pennsylvania where I grew up um, by buying and holding single-family and small multifamily properties. And so all I knew was don't reinvent the wheel. Do it exactly what he says to do. And uh and, and all should be well. He drives a nice car. He dresses nice. And I, I grew up in a very blue-collar family and never went without, but didn't have a lot either, right? And uh, he lived a completely different lifestyle. And so I wanted to uh, you know, to duplicate that. And so um, uh, basically, I, I followed him around for like a year. Uh, I did everything uh, that I possibly could outside of going to community college locally and tending bar at night. I would basically go during the day, meet him out in the field, help him with paperwork. Uh, basically, I was his admin. I was his admin assistant. I did anything and everything he asked me to do with the idea that I would be around him and just through osmosis, I would be able to absorb, uh, you know, all this knowledge that he had, right? I mean, like, he, I'd hear him talking the phone to brokers, to agents. I'd hear him negotiate, you know, uh, deals with, with sellers of homes, right? You know, like, he was like a we buy houses guy, right? And so I got to hear all this real time. And, uh, just soaked it all in. It took about a year to buy my first property on my own. Leveraged some of the relationships I had built through him. You were using one of his private lenders in the first deal. And uh, unfortunately, I couldn't really model his exact business out of the gate because I didn't have hardly any money. I had like $7,000 I'd saved from bartending. Used every penny of that plus private lender coming in to do the first deal. But I had to flip a number of deals uh, just to get my capital back and actually start stacking capital. Sure. And uh, really started moving towards, and within a couple of years, started moving towards, you know, renovating and flipping a couple homes, keeping one. Renovating, mm -hmm. you know, flipping a couple yep. homes, keeping yep. one. And then, um, long story short, moved down to Florida. I got sick of the cold in Pennsylvania, moved down to Florida. Uh, I never, never, ever enjoyed the cold weather as we sit out in Colorado right now. But it's sunny. At least the sun shines here. The sun doesn't really shine in the wintertime in Pennsylvania. But um, anyway, moved down to Florida when I was 22. And uh, it was like a new world to me down there. Like, for those that don't know, Tampa, Florida, at least back in the day, was like guru mecca of real estate. Like every like home study program probably got published in Tampa, Florida. It's the craziest <laughs> thing ever. So anyway, there was a lot of real estate investment pro uh, clubs, you know, weekly clubs that did not exist where I was from. And so like there's like this whole new world that opened up to me that I saw other people that were doing, you know, 10 times what 
David, my mentor, had done in you know, small town Pennsylvania, and uh, that was exciting. Uh, I just saw opportunity written all over it, and I just took it and ran. I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. I didn't have many responsibilities other than making money. And so um, <laughs> that, that, I just, <laughs> that's awesome. Self-starter. You didn't go to you went you, not college, right? No, I, I went to community college, um, very small community college in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, got an associate's degree. Didn't do anything else after that, and uh, I figured awesome. I wanted to make money instead. That's awesome. Took a, <laughs> took a bet on yourself and moved down to Florida. That's, it. That's awesome. So you want to tell the listeners what you have going on today because it's completely yeah. different. You build this huge empire. Want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, focused on that single family, and, and uh, uh, I started buying multifamily prior to the the crash of two thousand eight. And ultimately lost the majority of everything, um, you know, over the period of like two years, 2008 to 2010. And, um, you know, took a couple year hiatus and got introduced to mobile home parks in 2011 timeframe and um, was very intrigued by that space. Uh, the guy I met with, I had lunch with him. He was a mutual friend. Really didn't have an interest in his business, what he did. I just like meeting successful people and uh, expanding my network. And so had lunch with him and he just piqued my interest in so many different ways during that two-hour lunch meeting that I left there saying, I'm going to go buy a mobile home park. I'm going to figure this out. And, and that's what I did. It took about a year, actually 14 months to be exact, to study, make a bunch of offers, you know, just you lose out in opportunities, get scared, got cold feet on a couple of deals, and finally bought one up in Atlanta. We still own it today. And uh, busted my butt to turn that thing around, stabilize it. It's been a great asset. Again, own it today. It's, it's a freaking rock star performer figured that I might be able to just duplicate that process. So we went and bought another one uh, a little bit less than, a, less than a year later in North Carolina, duplicated the process, did another one, did another one. Long story short, we realized that it was it was an asset class that uh, didn't have a lot of competition at that time. It's changed a little bit over the last couple of years. Uh, the returns were substantially higher than that of, you know, traditional multi or single family or even commercial real estate investments. And, um, and, uh, and I really foresaw an opportunity for me to build a business and a you know, structured model around it and, and build a company out of it. And so that's what we ultimately did. And uh, today we've got 19 communities uh, wow. in 13 different states and um, just at the 2000 lot mark. And um, yeah, we're having fun with it. Question that, but and coming out of the recession, I think we interviewed when I spoke to you earlier mm-hmm. in the piece, reinventing yourself. How hard was that? It was incredibly hard. Um, you know, I, I think you know, the, the most challenging part was um, like every bit of like what I'd classified as like manhood yep. was pretty much stripped away, right? I mean, I, number one, I didn't have any credit. I didn't have any money. Um, and you were actively buying multifamily when, when, they, when the crash yes, hit. Yeah, so what happened is my single family is really what sunk the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the multifamily stuff was you know, you know, smaller. The biggest one we had was 72 units, but most of it was like 30 and under. Yep. And uh, a lot of local bank debt. And so ultimately, the multifamily, it, we, everything struggled during that time. You know, when people tell you that rents never go down, that just didn't happen. We had, you know, there was concessions coming out of the wazoo in Florida because there was a lot of oversupply mm-hmm. that was brought to the marketplace. And... Um, but what really played out is a single family is what really, you know, started to snowball this, you know, this bad snowball effect. And then my credit got damaged. And so a lot of the debt we had on that multifamily was five, five year, you know, uh, balloons with mm. local banks. My credit was shot. Now the banks are coming saying, pay me back. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any liquidity. Right. Well, you hit the keys. I, so we basically <laughs> had a fire sale. We didn't foreclose on any of our commercial properties, but we basically had to give them away. At the, didn't. We walked away whole, but literally made practically nothing. On so, invested, did investors lose money? Uh, they did not. No, oh, that's good. No, that's good. They did that's not. Good. So, like the single family stuff, we had, uh, we had a, a, a number of private investors. Um, but typically, what would happen? We'd buy eight or ten properties, 
and then we would cross collateralize them mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. a commercial loan, yep. take out the private, and then do it all. So we never really had a situation where we had like hundreds of private lenders with their money wrapped up. It was mostly banks. And th the biggest challenge was, is during the initial stages of this crash, these banks didn't have loss mitigation departments. They didn't have workout departments. This was all new to them, and yeah. no one knew how bad it was going to get. Until and so having that discussion with a, you know, a couple local bankers saying, I, I need you guys to work with me. I mean, this, this is getting ugly, and it's only going to get uglier. It was, they weren't enough pain yet mm. to consider you know, giving me flexibility. Right. And so it got really ugly really quick, and there was no other option. I mean, it was a strategic default on my part. It, it literally, rents went down. We got poached. A lot of our units got poached. We had a lot of new builds uh, mm -hmm. that were being built down in Southwest Florida, lots of brand new homes. Those brand new homes were starting to get rented out because they couldn't sell them anymore. Now you could live in a brand new home for the same price you were living in my 20-year-old home. And we had this like mass, ex not mass exodus, but we lost about 18% occupancy in a period of like, like nine months. I mean, mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was fairly horrific. I'm interrupting this episode to remind you guys about the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. If you want to take your investing career to the next level and surround yourself with the best in the business, then apply today. Spots are filling up fast. I'm only taking a handful of people for the next round, so get your application by emailing me at info, I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com. Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Now back into the show. And in the two years you had a hiatus, what'd you do? I um I didn't want to think did about anything re regarding did you real reinvent estate. yourself. Yeah, I w you know everyone knows, everyone knows that old adage of like you want to buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Yep. Like looking back, I can see you know one of the the fail points uh, of that period of time was that I should just pull my damn pants back up and uh, got out there and started buying opportunities. Like talk about the best time in history to buy distressed assets. Yep was when I wasn't buying them. You know what I mean? It's just, and so, but the challenge is, is like when it's your blood, it's really hard to right. get it out of that frame of mind. Right. And so. I bet you there'll be some dark times there. Man, it was, it was rough. It was rough. I, th what ultimately played out is, it, well, it, to expand on that, everyone I knew that owned real estate in my Florida bubble also lost everything. And so yeah. like, all I heard was like this negative, like the world's ending all around me. Like yep. I didn't have any, I didn't have positive role models that said, hey, like, you know, here's a way to get through it. And like, you know, we're doing this, that, and the other. Here's some strategies. Like that didn't, yep. everyone was just losing their, you know, the shirt. their shirts. That's yeah, it. yeah, and yeah. So um, the one thing I knew I could control to a certain extent was my emotional well-being and also my health. Mm -hmm. I was always in the health and fitness, you know, big runner, cyclist, what have you. And so I'd literally just put a huge emphasis on that part of my life because I figured like, you know what? Shit's hitting the fan. Things are really bad financially. Mm -hmm. I literally cannot control that. Yep. It was out of control. Yep. Every every other day, a process server was knocking on the door. It was just, you know, you know serving with a lawsuit. And, and, uh, how did you, just jumping in there for a little bit, because I interviewed yeah. Trevor McGregor earlier today and talking about, and, and I've been a big believer of having the pillars in life where you, mm -hmm. when, when, excuse my language, shit hits the fan on the business side, yeah. having the family and the love and the relationships around, because yeah. they're the other pillars that support the table, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you double down? It sounds like you doubled down on those. Yeah. You know, my family lived a thousand miles away, so I didn't really have like immediate family support. Um, my Who is now my wife today, I just literally started dating her like three months prior to all this happening. So like while she was there for me, like we weren't that deep into it. Yeah. And so, yeah. and again, all my immediate, like, very close friends, if they were in real estate, they were experiencing the same pain. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a lot of those support pillars. I had myself to figure it out, right. you know, and, uh, and so again, I doubled down on the health and fitness and uh, knew that as long as I could, you know, if I felt good, 
that I had energy that I would work my way through, not figure something else out. And, and what kind of transpired out of that is, again, being a big runner and a big cyclist, I was already involved in those communities. I'd go to run clubs a couple times a week, you know, uh, go to cycling events and what have you. And so I basically built two businesses that revolved immediately around those two sports. Okay. It allowed me to be closer to the people I enjoyed being around. I didn't have to hear the negative real estate talk because most of those people that were in those clubs weren't real estate investors, right? And right. so it, just, it was like my escape and also a way to keep a roof over my head and actually That's have awesome. some, you know, be able to handle What did my you create from a, from a sports and fitness point of view? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I ran, uh, uh, well, she wasn't my wife then, but uh, we ran Chicago Marathon back in 2008. You did. So like right in the middle of all this. And, uh, you know, if you've, have you ever run a marathon? No, but I know that it's a okay. massive business of owning marathons around the world. Like, yeah, like yeah. it's a whole thing. Well, we didn't thing. do that. We didn't start a marathon <laughs> you know, business. But uh, what we did realize, and my wife had run New York Marathon a couple of times prior to right. that. And uh, one thing that happens in a marathon, you know, especially these bigger marathons like New York City Marathon, Boston Marathon, what have you, is uh, there's a lot of spectator support. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what a lot of runners do is they actually write their name. They yep. literally write their name on the shirt so that people are like, hey, go Kevin, go Kevin, whatever. And I was very baffled at the expo before the Chicago Marathon as why there wasn't a service there where I could actually, instead of using a black magic marker or black tape, it looked like shit, right? <laughs> or like ruining like a really yeah. nice Nike shirt, then I couldn't like get one that actually looked half decent right. that would be printed. It was just an idea. It came about. I did some researching on like, you know, printing technologies, what have you, and realized there was a technology called sublimation that allowed you to print on dry fit. It, you know, it, it was at a price point where I could sell one-offs. I didn't have to like you know, make a hundred shirts at a time sure. to make it affordable. Sure. Anyway, so like, I was like, hey, I think there's a need here. Let me, you put together a website, hired a bunch of VAs in the Philippines. I'd never built a website wow. in my life. And, um, you had an online business. And, and literally put together an e-commerce site where you could design your own shirt, you know, That's specific awesome. to runners. And, Is it uh, still around today? Uh, I sold it. I sold it like five years ago. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, well, yeah, well. It, it was in a business that was worth millions of dollars. <laughs> so like, I don't want to over-exaggerate it here. It allowed me to pay my bills. Yep you know, put food on my plate. Keep a roof over your head. And, and have some fun with it. And yeah. the other business that started out of that was, uh, I'm really into craft beer. One of the running clubs I went to, it was always at a brewery. And I was always amazed that it was always on like a Monday night, which is like their slowest night, but they would bring like 50 runners in. And I'm like, this brewery should be paying us some money. For, <laughs> like these people wouldn't come here. Like yeah, these, yeah, yeah. these patrons would not be coming here if it wasn't for this run club, especially on a Monday night, right? This restaurant's probably doing another $2,000 of revenue. And so we basically built the model around that to where basically we got paid based on the tier system for how many runners we'd bring in. So we started a run club called Running for Brews. Still in existence <laughs> today. We got 50 locations across the country. That is awesome. And uh, I'm no longer involved. I had a partner I brought in a couple years into it, and he like runs it full-fledged. And uh, basically we get paid by the bars. We get the slowest night. We fill it with people. And we go for a 5K run, and we drink beers afterwards. <laughs> you, just, you work off the calories and put that's them back it. on again. That's that, it, man. That's, that's it. awesome. It's, that's awesome. Supposedly, there's like a recovery benefit of uh, drinking sure, beer sure. after running. At least yeah, that's yeah. What we'll we'll tell themselves that's that. That's why I told everybody. <laughs> so. But I think, uh, no, it's, it's, it's incredible that you used um, fitness as your anchor to help you get through hard times. And I think that's what a lot of people, I'm, I'm a, a big into fitness as well. If I don't have, if I don't work out or do something physical in two days, I start getting a little stir crazy. Yep. And, and I use that as my anchor to my day. I have yep. to do it in the yep. mornings and it makes my day so much better. It's nearly like a meditative state yeah. in which you get into. So it's, it's really interesting to hear that. Um, I want to pivot a little bit into what you do today because we've had some conversations mm -hmm. offline 
about the industry of, you know, we talk about on this podcast, multifamily and property management, hiring the right property manager. But in the mobile home spa, spa, park space, there isn't an, a national provider. There, like it's, you know, I can go to Texas and I can hire Roscoe Property Management, who is yes. our property manager, who, who manages our 2,000 unit portfolio. I can go to, you know, New York and get Graystar. You know, mm-hmm. there's not that for mobile home parks, but yet you're trying to build that out today, right? That's that's correct. And what we're building today, just to give clarity, we're not considering going down the fee management road or you know, fee, you know, as far as like offering the service to other mobile home park operators. It's more so for our own vertical uh, needs. Sure. It's not our own business, our own portfolio. But yeah, no, we um, it was out of necessity. You know, that it's one of the downsides in our space of actually building and scaling a uh, multiple park portfolio is actually not being able to rely on you know regional or national you know management companies to manage that side of it. That's not the fun side of our business, right? It's, you know, right. It's, that's 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 the putting un- deals together. Yep. Like I mean, like you know. It, they're their own separate businesses, right? Yeah. They literally are two separate, completely separate businesses. And so, you know, the beginning stages when we had like five or six properties, we were, at, you know, two partners at a time. Now I just have one. But anyway, we were wearing some hats. We had like one admin and like we were doing a little bit of everything. But we knew like that would not go on forever and that mm-hmm. we would run into some roadblocks. And uh, we continued growing, hired when we could. And ultimately what played out in like 2018, we were introduced to a management company. We had heard of them. Um, they're the largest in our space. I'm not going to name names. It's not relevant here. But um, we bought a property at receivership that they were managing, and uh, we had some exposure. We, we saw that it was an opportunity for us to grow our business by leaps and bounds, by focusing on raising capital and finding deals which we're really good at, and letting them do what they're really good at. They've yep. been doing it for 40 years. They, they, they own 25,000 lots themselves. They fee manage like 20,000 lots, substantial in size. Grass isn't always green on the other side. Within four or five months, we quickly realized that it was not a good, um, not a good solution. It was a very poor solution. And so, last year we decided to truly build out a real property management company, put some like real money behind it, yep. and bring the talent in that's necessary to, you know, to not just manage the portfolio we have today, uh, but also to scale on top of it. You know, with the infrastructure we have in place today, we could add another thousand lots and not have to hire another individual in-house. Sure, sure. I think the biggest thing, like we, as even in the multifamily space, and I just interviewed Frank Rosler on the show about his growth in 10,000 units, him and Joe, when do you bring that in, in-house? You know, like it's always that, that when do you need to bring it in? Deals are getting tighter these days. Yep. You know, I know I, I pay a burden on my property management of about 36%. Um, if you can bring that in-house and not necessarily make money, but save money. Yes. And, and now you're in creating the, the culture business, right? You're in, yep. how do you attract good, good talent? How do you attract that they want to stay forever and make it really an asset that you have for your yes. business and your investors? How's that been going for you? Because I know that can be such a challenging part of any service-based business. Yeah. I agree with you with the culture thing. I can't. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that we've got the culture thing down on the property <laughs> manager side. It's a very new business. Sure. Um, we just took the manager back in house in um, November of uh, 19, mm-hmm. and uh, we started building it probably sometime in July, June or July of eight uh, of 19. And so it's a. I mean, like literally, it's been pieced together. Um, you know, strategically. I mean, like we put a lot of uh, of, of time and energy into finding the right talent, what have you, uh, building the systems and processes, but. It's still been a very short window. We're still trying to figure out what we don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. there's still cracks that we're trying to fill in. So the culture needs to be there. We need to implement that. However, I'm not sure we're there today. And yep. so I'd love to take some lessons from you because it seems like you probably got it down a lot more packed than no, I, I, I No, not at all. But it's just it's an interesting. I'm just interviewing a lot of guys on the show that creating culture in any business is the way you retain talent yes, and, and the way you grow talent. Yes. And so um, it's just something that is always hard and operators always constantly 
you know, grapple with, do I want to bring it in-house? Do I not yes, want to bring it in-house? Yes. Do I have the scales? Do I don't? One question I have for you, because the mobile home parks are so spread out, how do you how are you going to go about having, is it more going to be online virtual, you know, trusting someone in a region to do their job? Yep. And, and thus, you know, trusting them to, to have your portfolio at, at stake, you know? Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, we're, we're very spread out. Like, again, that's one of the, I'm not going to call it downside. It's just one of the necessary evils of this niche. I mean, you go where the deals are, right? Sure. It's really hard to say, I'm going to focus on these two markets and build a 5,000 lot portfolio. Might have happened 20 years ago. It's really hard to do today. And so we have a, we have, I guess you can classify them as a director of property manager slash regional manager like that works out of our Florida office. Yep. And each one of our respective communities has its own on-site management. Sometimes it's one individual, sometimes it's two, depending on the size of the community. We also might have a maintenance individual on full payroll. Sometimes it's just contract, contractual. But that on-site individual handles the day-to-day. -day. They handle the rent collections. We, you know, we have check scanners in every office. So like we try to utilize technology as much as possible. But we're not collecting cash, yep. letting them drive to the bank and deposit it. Um, as far as like you know the inefficiencies with being able to visit our properties on a very regular basis, we don't have the ability to do that, right? Mm. I mean, there's no way we're flying to 13 different states. Yep. Um, six times a year, it's just not going to happen, not sure. a time of the day. And so in that sense, this is a, a, a tactic I learned from Frank Rolfe many years ago. Uh, he basically empowered all of his on-site community managers with a, back then it wasn't a GoPro camera, I forget what he would use, but basically the equivalent of a GoPro camera. And so one of the responsibilities of our on-site managers, they have to do a drive-through, very specific instructions on how they do it. They do a drive-through once a month and our regional reviews it. So within 10 minutes, we can very quickly see most of what we would see in person if we did an on-site visit. The financials will tell the other part of the story, right? right? If we're right. actually collecting rent, people are paying their rent. Right. And, um, and so we also do get our on-site managers involved in the profit and loss. Okay. And, and you get them to understand Incentivize them. The, the budgetary side of things yep. and, and help them really understand you know, what makes that property tick, you know, what's necessary as far as like over this coming calendar year to get accomplished, what have you. And ultimately how that affects, um, you know, your incentive you're at the end of the year for yourself, you sure. know, as far as bonuses and such. Sure. And so uh, we found that to be a huge benefit of truly getting them involved in understanding that side of the business. I yep. mean, we don't get in deep into the weeds, but um, it's, it's, it's definitely helped empower them and have them feel like they're a part yeah. of just the corporate side. Because a lot of them feel like they're, they're in like the silo, like they're <laughs> off on their own island, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. In Nebraska or Oklahoma. And, and, and the number one thing is you, you, you make money when you buy, you lose money through bad property yep. management. Yep. So, you know, um, I think it's going to be really interesting growth. What does the growth of 2020 and beyond look like? Yeah, yeah. So we're real excited because now we're right back on the trajectory again to actually start buying more. Uh, we're going to be rolling out our uh, a, a mobile home park fund here in the next coming months. Okay. Um, however, it's not just going to be a mobile home park fund. One of the things we've been working on behind the scenes is another asset class that we feel is a very good companion to mobile home parks, and that's uh, surface parking lots in you know, CBD areas, yes. right, central business districts. And so it's going to be a hybrid fund. Um, we've got two parking lots under contract now, uh, working on getting a couple mobile home parks tied up and looking to, to pair the two together and, um, and uh, you know, add to the portfolio. Awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. So we're well, excited. I'm getting nudged to get the hell off this off the, right, off the show. Right. So we're going we're gonna to wrap it up here. But, mate, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show. I just want to reflect some of the things that I've learned and seeing your growth over the last, since I've met you. And we met, what, four years ago, I yeah, think it was? Like yeah, um, I think that, you know, your, your ability to come out of a dark time of 2008. I remember when I interviewed you the first time of how incredibly, it, it's soul-crushing, right? And, and then to look within to make sure that you have the resolve to pick yourself up, get back on the horse. I think that's really awesome and, 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 a, and a trait that you should be pat yourself on the back for. Um, but also, 
also to reinvent yourself is really, really imp important as well. And, and to take on a property management business that historically hasn't been there for mobile home parks. And mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, I think you've got an awesome future ahead, man. And so uh, I, 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 I can't wait to watch you grow even further. Yeah, I'm excited. Reed, thank you for all you do, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure knowing you and I appreciate all you give, all this value you give to, you know, to your audience and stuff. Well, one question, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Yeah, yeah. So two different places on uh, my personal website, kevinbuff.com, and then our company website is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, look, I want to thank you again for jumping on the show. Enjoy your rest of your time here in Keystone, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, brother. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Mr. Kevin Buff. Please jump on his website, kevinbuff.com. He's also got a podcast uh, called The Cashflow Pod. What's it called again? Real Estate Investing for Cashflow. Real and then we also have a mobile home park investing sure. podcast. So we've got two different podcasts. So you can find them both on iTunes. Yeah. I want to thank all the listeners for taking some time out of today to tune in to continue to grow their financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. We're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave, and remember, go give life a crack. <laughs>